Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. morning. Uh, I, I love seeing all of your faces and, and the, getting the chance to, to worship God with you all and sing praises to His name. But uh, as you know, we are still working our way through the book of Hebrews. In the last few sermons, which have been over chapters 4 and into the first half of chapter 5, have been focused on the role of Jesus as our great high priest. And as we have mentioned, the author of Hebrews really kind of spends a long time on this particular theme. And he actually goes all the way into chapter 10, just just talking about Jesus as our great high priest. But for the next about, you know, chapter and a half, he actually takes a little bit of a break. And it seems like somewhat of a strange time to take a pause because he is talking about Jesus' high priesthood being after the order of Melchizedek, a a somewhat mysterious figure within Scripture that you only really see two times in the Old Testament. And so instead of launching into what this actually means as Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek and the high priestness of that and what all that means, he he, he stops. He, He takes a break. And as we will look at in more detail, the reason why he stops here is because the teaching of Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek is a difficult teaching. It's it's, it's a tough one. But the reason why it's a difficult teaching isn't necessarily because it's an overly hard topic to, to wrap your mind around, but rather it's a teaching that has become difficult for the author of Hebrews to explain because his audience has become what? Dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Now the thesis statement of this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning can essentially be summed up like this. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. That is the message in a a fairly blunt nutshell that our author is seeking to get across to his audience. And so with that being said, this is obviously going to be one of those, uh, those kind of nice, feel-good sermons. Obviously, right? This is going to be one of those sermons where not a single toe will be trodden on this morning. So don't worry. You could leave your steel-toe boots at home. And I think Ethan said it a couple weeks ago when he said soft chairs. We got new soft chairs to go along with our, with our soft preaching. Is that, is that how you said it? Oh, oh, that's what you said. My bad. My bad. I got it backwards, I guess. But in all seriousness, I think this passage is actually going to be a challenge for many of us this morning, myself included. Because what this passage is, is a call to spiritual maturity. And as difficult as a passage like this can be to, to read and preach, the passage is actually a grace from God. This passage is a grace from God because He cares far too much about us to allow us to go on thinking that it is okay to have a faith that remains immature. And so this morning we're going to be looking at how the author urges believers to leave behind their spiritual childishness 
and move into spiritual adulthood by, as one Bible scholar put it, developing an appetite for the solid food of God's Word. But before we go any further, please pray with me. Lord, we thank You again for bringing us all together. And Lord, as we pray every week, there are so many things that, Lord, are vying for our attention this morning. But Lord, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that You just protect our minds and our hearts from those things this morning. Help us focus our attention, Lord, on Your Word, God. Help us not be dull of hearing this morning but to be active listeners, Lord, listening to your voice, listening to the voice of our Savior, of our Good Shepherd. Lord, in taking these things to heart, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit is our guide this morning and illuminates the truths that you want us to take away. Lord, we love you, and I pray this in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, I do encourage you to open them up to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be looking, of course, at chapter 5, and we're going to be begin by uh, reading verse 11. Verse 11. And it says, About this, meaning the teaching of Jesus as the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now this first verse is laying out the problem that the audience has. And it's a big problem that can have significant consequences that we'll see just a little bit later on. But their problem is that they have become dull in their hearing. Now, this word dull can actually be translated as lazy. They have become lazy in their hearing. In other words, they've become lazy in their learning. They've become lazy in their faith. Now, one of the things that I found interesting as I was reading through this is that the author doesn't just say that they are lazy or, or dull in their hearing, but rather they have become dull or lazy in their hearing. Now, the implication of this is that they weren't always this way. They didn't, they didn't start off this way. I think the idea that we're supposed to have is that these Christians that the author is speaking to when they first came to Christ is that they had a, a passion and a zeal to learn and to grow in their faith. But over time, after that initial excitement of their conversion sort of, sort of began to kind of taper off as they got back into the, to the normal rhythms of their lives and the various hardships of being a Christian during this time began to wear on them, the passion to learn and grow that they once had just sort of kind of fizzled out. just kind of dwindled. And sadly, this is actually how some marriages end up, right? In some marriages, especially in the culture we live in right now, there's a fantastic honeymoon phase where the newlyweds are, are excited about being married and they have a passion and a zeal for one another. But as time goes on and, and that honeymoon phase wears off and they learn that marriage actually you know, takes work and sacrifice and giving of yourself, 
Things begin to, to kind of dwindle. And sadly, at times, spouses can get lazy in their relationship. And instead of growing closer together, they, they grow more further apart. And that is essentially the problem with these Christians that the author is speaking to. Rather than having a mature and robust faith, one in which they want to learn more and more about their Savior and serve Him in thankful obedience, they have become lazy in their relationship with Him. And so these things that the author wants to teach them about Jesus being this great high priest after the order of Melchizedek is hard for them to understand. And it's hard for the author to teach them because they haven't grown in their faith. Now, if you think what he said in verse 11 was harsh, friends, as you know, he's not done yet. Using the imagery of a classroom, he says in the first line of verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now what this is telling us is that he is specifically addressing believers who have been Christians for, for a good period of time. Though we're, we aren't told exactly how long that is, it is safe to assume that he's not necessarily speaking to those who have just recently placed their faith in Christ. He is speaking to those Christians who may have been Christians for, for, for maybe years at this point, long enough to have grown to the point where they should be able to be teaching the very same things that the author of Hebrews is trying to teach them now. But even though they should be teachers, they themselves are needing someone to teach them again the basic principles of the oracles of God, meaning the fundamentals, the, the basics of the Christian faith. They haven't really graduated beyond that. The commentator Philip Hughes summarizes it really well by saying that they are like children in kindergarten, unable to, to read or write having to start at the very beginning by, by learning their ABCs. And this is the state of the Christian that the author of Hebrews is speaking to. Now, some can, at times, sort of, sort of miss the point of this verse. And they can kind of hyper-focus on that, that everybody who is mature in Christ, therefore, needs to be a teacher, Right? But that's not the point that the author is trying to get across. And in fact, you see in 1 Corinthians 12 and in James chapter 3 that, that not every believer in the church is called or gifted to be a teacher. But if you go back just a couple of chapters in Hebrews to chapter 3 verse 13, we do see that every believer is called to do what? In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13, exhort one another. Exhort one another daily. And what exhortation means is to essentially just preach the gospel to one another. We're called to preach the gospel to one another, to disciple one another, and to, to teach each other. And so even if every single Christian that the author of Hebrews is speaking to right here isn't going to have this formal teaching role within the church, these Christians who have been believers for a while should at this point have the maturity in their faith to where they don't need to be taught their ABCs anymore. 
but that they could take the, the deeper truths of Scripture and exhort one another with them. That's what he's saying here. Now, the sad truth is that there are many churches all over the United States, all over the world, really, that are filled to the brim with individuals who have been Christians for many, many years, but still haven't moved, moved past the basic truths of the gospel. And you have many Christians, both those who have been believers for a long time and brand new believers, who even mistakenly believe that moving past the fundamentals of the Christian faith is to be relegated to the pastors or relegated to the Sunday school teachers or relegated to the seminary professors or to the theologians. But friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. The author of Hebrews clearly did not believe that learning the deeper, sometimes more difficult things in Scripture, like Jesus' high priestly office, were meant to be left to the, to the spiritual elite. But he is speaking to the average Christian here. He's speaking to the average Christian. He is saying that growth in, ma in maturity is the call of every believer, of every single one. And brothers and sisters, this is my desire for each and every one of you as well. To see the believers in our church move past the fundamentals of the Christian faith. To see us all grow in our relationship with God and in our knowledge of Him. I mean, this was, this was the goal of the Apostle Paul, was it not? This is what he wanted to see. He says as much in Colossians 1 verses 28 through 29. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. It says, Him we proclaim, meaning Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, what? Mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. And he goes on and says, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. And friends, this is the heartbeat of myself, and this is the heartbeat of Pastor Ethan and Pastor Paul. You know, our, our goal as your pastors, as elders of this church, is, is to number one, glorify God. That's what we want to do above all else. But we want to glorify God by warning and teaching all of you so that we may present you mature in Christ, not immature in Christ. And friends, if that is not our goal as pastors, then we have misunderstood our calling. We want you to love Jesus and come to know Him and come to know more about Him more this year than you did last year. More this month than you did last month. More this week than you did last week. That is our heart. That's our goal. <laughs> well, this I toil through the power that He works in me. But we don't want you to be like these people that the author of Hebrews is speaking to. We don't want you to become dull in your hearing, to become lazy in your faith. We don't want you to get stuck on your ABCs, but to grow in your love and knowledge of Jesus to the point where you, you, could go out and teach these amazing truths that we find in Scripture to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ 
to even the, the people in your workplace and in your home. That's what we want to see. Now you may be wondering what actually constitutes as the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's a really fancy term there. Or the fundamentals of faith. Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess because the author kind of spells it out for us. If you skip ahead to chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 2, the author again exhorts the listeners to, to leave these, these elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. He wants them to not have to, or have to relay the foundations of the faith again, but to move on to the deeper things, such as the teaching of Jesus as the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek and, and all that entails. Now, the elementary doctrines of Christ, the foundation on which everything else in the Christian faith builds upon, he says are repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, if we were to look at this list, I think on the surface level, many of us who have even been Christians for a while and are mature in their faith are, are, are even scratching their heads as to what some of this actually means. But let me break it down a little bit because it's not as difficult as it, as it might look on the surface. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God simply means turning away from the sinful desire to earn your own way to salvation, but rather putting your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. That's, that's what that first couplet means. The second might seem a, a little bit more complicated. It is the instruction about washing and the laying on of hands. Now, when some look at this, they think of uh, that the washings is a reference to baptism and that the laying on of hands is referring to either the ordination of church leadership or maybe even the laying on of hands as you're, as you're praying over somebody. However, within the context of Hebrews, we have to remember that a lot of what the author is speaking about is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant in Christ Jesus, right? Christ Jesus fulfills the Old Covenant and ushers in the New Covenant. That's the context here. And so what is in view here are the Old Covenant washings and the Old Covenant laying on of hands and what both of these things represent. In regards to washings, this is speaking of the ceremonial washings that one had to do at various times in order to become ritualistically clean before approaching God. But in Christ, in Christ, those washings, friends, are no longer necessary. They're no longer necessary. Why? 1 John 1 verse 9. 1 John 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, then He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us, hold on to that word, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? That's so wonderful. In the blood of Christ that He shed on our behalf on the cross, we have been washed clean of all unrighteousness, from all of our unrighteousness. Every single dirty stain that has ever been on our heart has been washed clean by the blood of Christ. 
Psalm 51.7 says it this way. It says, it says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And if you're a believer in Christ, then guess what, brothers and sisters? You have been washed. You are washed clean and you are now, your, your soul is now whiter than snow. That is how Christ sees you. And so those old covenant ceremonial washings are no longer relevant and no longer needed because through the blood of Christ, we can stand before God and He doesn't see us as filthy sinners, even though we still struggle with our sinful natures here and now. But He doesn't see our filthy sin, but He sees us as morally pure and beautiful in His sight because of the righteousness of Christ given to us. How wonderful is that? Now, with the laying on of hands, remember the new covenant laying on of hands is, is not what's in view here, but the old covenant laying on of hands, which most Bible scholars agree it refers to when on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would put his hands on a goat and not the same goat that would be sacrificed and its blood sprinkled on the mercy seat, but a second goat that was called the scapegoat. And after he did this, he would send out that scapegoat into the wilderness. And he would do this to symbolize the transfer of the guilt of the sins of the people of Israel onto the scapegoat. And because of the mercy of God, their sins would be remembered no more. It would be sent out. There was a picture there. Their sins were, were sent out and away from them, remembered by God no more. And yet again, of course, this is no longer needed either. Because the guilt of our sins, both past, present, and future, were imparted to Christ, and He bore them in His body on the cross. All of the guilt that we had is no longer on our shoulders because it was transferred completely onto Jesus and dealt with on the cross as the Father poured out His wrath on Him instead of us. And so not only do we stand clean before God, but we stand justified. We stand guilt-free. And so that is what is meant by washings and the laying on of hands. And lastly, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this is simply speaking of the new covenant promise for those who are in Christ that we will be raised from dead in glory. And we shall enjoy the inheritance of Christ our brother and enjoy eternity living with Him in paradise. But likewise, those who are not in Christ, those who do not put their faith in Him, they too will be resurrected when Christ comes again, but, but not unto glory, but rather eternal judgment. And so these, these really are the, the fundamentals of the Christian faith that the author is speaking of. And if you've been a, a Christian for, for really any amount of time, these are, these are kind of fundamental truths that, that, that we should know and, and hang on to. Repentance and, and faith. Being washed clean of our sins and being freed from the, from the guilt of them through the work of Jesus on the cross. And the resurrection of those in Christ to glory and those not in Christ to eternal judgment and condemnation. Those are the, the ABCs of the Christian faith. These are the basics of the Christian faith that the author is saying that those who have been believers for a long time shouldn't have to be taught over and over again, but that they should have moved on to the deeper things of Scripture. 
Yet again, sadly, those whom the author is speaking to still hadn't fully grasped these things. And he continues to hammer home their spiritual immaturity at the end of verse 12 by switching metaphors from that of the classroom to the dinner table. Saying that that you need milk, not solid food. And one of the things that we at Redeemer Church do not want to be known for is simply preaching things that tickle your ears. We firmly believe that if we are to do our jobs correctly as pastors, that means teaching the whole counsel of God, meaning everything that we find within Scripture, even if it makes us uncomfortable from time to time. Now, that being said, you know, at least we've never come up here and called you big babies, right? So you can't be that mad at us. And that is actually precisely what the author of Hebrews is essentially doing right here. Do you you see that in that passage? He is saying that even though these believers should be mature enough in their faith, that they should have grown enough in their knowledge of God's Word, they are still on the basics. They are still like infants who need milk. Now, I do want to pause for just one second. Because one of the things that I do not want you to hear me saying, and what I don't want you to hear the author of Hebrews saying, is that there is something wrong with spiritual milk. That there is something wrong with those fundamentals of the faith that we just spoke of. Because friends, we are to find beauty. We're to find comfort and peace in the basics of the Christian faith. In the basics of the gospel. And Spurgeon has this beautiful quote that you may have heard me mention before. When he was writing part of a book on the Old Testament book called The Song of Solomon, a book about uh, the, the Old Testament book about a, a bride and a groom's love and passion for one another. It's the ones that pastors try to avoid actually preaching on. And he speaks about how that entire book, how the entire book of the Song of Solomon is meant to not only show us what a healthy marriage looks like, what a godly marriage should look like, but also to show us Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ, right? Because that's that's what the marriage is all about. And so that's what the book, Song of Solomon, is is truly pointing at. And in chapter 2, of the Song of Solomon, the bride says in verse 3, As an apple tree among the apple trees of the forest, so am I beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And this is really just speaking to those first fruits of love between these two people. When they would just sit together. When they would just sit together, and she would be filled by love by simply sitting in his presence. But then in verse 4, the groom brings his bride into this magnificent banquet house and he pours out his love onto her to the point where she says that the, the banner over me is love. And Spurgeon says that the idea that we're supposed to get here is that he is just showering her in this banquet house with gifts of all sorts, with sweet foods of all kinds to just Lay on her again and again how much he loves her. But it almost becomes too much. And she becomes sick with the extravagant showing of love that he is giving her in the banquet house. And in verse 5, she is lovesick, she says. She's lovesick. 
And she tells him, sustain me with raisins. Raisins of all things. Refresh me with apples. Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. And what she means here, she's actually pointing back to that previous verse. And what she means is that she wants to go back to those first fruits of their love together. The magnificent feast in the banquet hall was, was incredible. And he has shown me so much wonderful love. But I just want to go back to the, to the simplicity of sitting in your shadow and enjoying those simple first fruits of our love. And Spurgeon so wisely says that this can be like the life of a Christian. The life of a growing Christian who is learning the deeper things of Scripture, learning about theology, learning about the, the wonderful and rich and good things that are found within the Word of God. And friends, sometimes we can get overwhelmed by them. And I know, and I, personally, I know this well. By the grace of God, I've had the opportunity to read and study and to be taught deep and rich biblical truths. And friends, it can be so enriching. It can be so wonderful. But again, there are times where I have needed to pause and go back just to those first fruits of the gospel. To be sustained by those first fruits of Christ's love for me, those simple truths that I am a sinner that has been saved by the grace of God, that has been washed clean, that has been given the status as a son of God. And though I don't deserve it, my Savior will see to it that all of the difficulties, all of the complications in my life will not be worth comparing to the glory that awaits me in the life to come. There are times where I need to go back to those first fruits of my Savior's love for me, to those basic truths of the gospel. And so, friends, I don't want you to hear me say, and I don't want you to hear the author of Hebrews saying that those fundamental elements of the Christian faith are lesser than those deeper truths that you can find within Scripture. Don't ever hear me or, or Scripture itself saying that. The foundation of the gospel is just that. It is an irreplaceable foundation upon which everything else in Scripture stands. But we are called to build upon that foundation by the grace of God and with the help of the Spirit. We are called to drink that spiritual milk and have that spiritual milk nurture us and mature us to the point where we eagerly take on those solid foods. Now, do you remember when I said that there were serious consequences that could result from spiritual laziness of the people the author is speaking to? And the consequences isn't just spiritual immaturity, though that is certainly true. But there's a greater consequence that comes actually as a result of that spiritual immaturity. Take a look at me with, uh, at the first verse, or sorry, at the uh, first part of verse 13. I'll try to say that more confusingly next time. Verse 13, look at it. Good, all right. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. 
Friends, one of the biggest problems with spiritual immaturity, with not growing in your faith, in your knowledge of God, and remaining on milk, is that you become unskilled in the word of righteousness. What the author is saying is that the people that he is speaking to do not know how to use God's Word. That's essentially what he's saying here. Now this could mean a few different things. It could mean either they simply don't know how to properly read Scripture within its context and understand what they're looking at, or, or it could mean that, that as they are living their life because they are still immature in their faith, they don't know how to take the godly principles found within Scripture and apply it to their lives so that they can live in a Christ-like manner. Now, I believe that both of these are true, but the emphasis seems to be on the latter rather than the former. And the reason why I think that is due to how he contrasts the spiritual immaturity of those who live on milk, the spiritual infants in verse 13, with those who are spiritually mature and have moved on to the solid foods in verse 14. So let me read verse 14 and see if you can spot the difference here. He says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let me lay out what the author is saying here. Those who are mature in their faith are those who have moved on to the deeper things within Scripture, right? They have grown in their knowledge of God through, through listening to the teaching of the apostles and through studying the Word of God themselves. But notice that those who are mature in Christ, those who have moved on to the solid food, aren't simply those who have grown in their head knowledge of God. They haven't, they haven't simply grown in their head knowledge of God, but it is, they are those who put that knowledge into practice who've put it into practice. As Jesus would say in Matthew 7, these mature believers aren't just hearers of the Word, but they are doers of the Word. James would say the same thing. And because they have constantly put into practice the things which they have heard and learned, what is the result? They are able to correctly discern between what is good and what is evil. And here is really where you see the difference between Christians who have been believers for a while and yet have become lazy in their faith and believers who have desired to move beyond the milk to solid food. It's not only about growing in your knowledge of the Word, but your skill in using the Word in your day-to-day life to, through the help of the Holy Spirit, discern between what is pleasing to God and what is not pleasing to God, between what is good and what is evil. A perfect example of this is found in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. In chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, Paul wrote, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And the implication being that they should have been ready for it. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? These believers in Corinth lack the spiritual maturity to handle their issues in a godly way because they never moved past spiritual milk. So when strife came, rather than practicing godly wisdom, 
rather than discerning how God desired them to strive for unity and love one another, what did they do? They lived in their flesh and behaved in a sinful way. They chose what was evil rather than what was good. And so friends, there is not a single issue of the heart, whether it be jealousy, anxiety, fear. There's not a single interpersonal issue that you may have with someone. There's not a single thing that you need to know in order to live a godly life that, the, that is not found within the pages of Scripture. Not a single thing. But in order to grow in these things, in order to progress in your sanctification, in your Christ-likeness, you cannot resign yourselves. You cannot be satisfied. You cannot be content with remaining a spiritual infant. A colleague of mine in Small Town Summits and the author of a, a great commentary on the book of Hebrews, a man named Stephen Whitmer, wrote that very often spiritual maturity is due not to, or sorry, spiritual immaturity, rather, is due not to a lack of intelligence or education, but rather to a lack of desire. Those who grow spiritually do so because they want to grow because they have a desire and a hunger to advance in obedience and in understanding. And so friends, if you want to advance in obedience, if you want to grow in your understanding of God's Word and what it has to say, friends, do not be like those in the Corinthian church. And do not be like those that the author of Hebrews is speaking to right now. If you've been a Christian for a long time, but you feel like your zeal and excitement to move past the foundation of the gospel has dwindled, if you feel like maybe you've become lazy in your faith, then I pray that the Holy Spirit, through this sermon, through this passage of Scripture, wakes you up to the spiritual stupor that you've been in. Wakes you up to the fact that you've become dull in your hearing and that you need to grow in your faith so that you can take these wonderful truths that are found within God's Word and speak them into the lives of the people around you and to live them out in, the, in your own particular context, in your own lives. Now friends, I know on the outset that it can seem like what the author of Hebrews is doing here is, is mean and unloving. There are so many proposed churches or you know, organizations who would call themselves churches who would never preach on a passage like this because it's too mean. And, and Jesus would never speak like this, right? But in reality, there is nothing more loving that a brother in Christ could do right here than to wake these people up, to shake them and to warn them that God does not desire them to remain immature. Because immaturity doesn't simply mean a lack of knowledge, but it also means a lack of biblical discernment. A lack of understanding what is good and what is evil and how to apply God's Word to your heart. And so friends, what we see here is actually a very loving thing. A very loving thing. And so believer, if you are searching your heart right now and you feel like this might be you, then I pray that you repent that you repent of your dullness of hearing, of your laziness and faith, but then move past that and rejoice in the grace and mercy of Christ Jesus that He offers freely to you 
and ask him to help you grow in your faith. There's a wonderful passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, and it speaks to why moving on from milk to solid food is so good and wonderful. Peter writes, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He ties those two things together. He ties the multiplication of grace and peace with growing in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. They are inseparable to one another. When you pursue to move on from the Christian basics to to deeper theology, not simply out of a selfish desire for head knowledge, but out of a desire to obey the commands of Christ and to learn more about your Savior, not only do you grow in discernment between what is good and what is evil, but as Peter says, you are multiplied in grace and peace. How amazing is that? Man, diving into God's Word is not a fruitless endeavor. If you do it with the right heart posture, with a desire to learn more about Christ Jesus, to learn more about your God, about your King, man, the Lord blesses that. And you grow in grace and peace as He pours it out on you. Friends, there are wonderful treasures that lie within your grasp. you realize that? They lie within your grasp. And the Holy Spirit wants to, with overwhelming generosity, give you those treasures. Pour them out on you as you begin to mature in your faith. Now, for those of you who are new believers, the same really holds true for you. And this is really a warning to you to not allow yourselves to become like the Corinthians to become like the audience of the book of Hebrews. Don't start down the path of laziness in your faith because you will be denying yourself great joys and grace and peace. And you'll be walking against God's desire for your life, which is becoming more like the Son. Now, with all that being said, I am so thankful that we have been wonderfully spoiled here at Redeemer, at least from my perspective. We're surrounded by believers who desire to grow deeper in their faith. And so I ask you to continue to fulfill that call of Hebrews 3, to continue to exhort one another, to call each other to greater dependency on Christ and a greater love for His Word. Now, before I pray to close out this sermon, if you're thinking to yourself, man, yes, I want to do that. I want to grow in my faith, but I, but I don't quite know where to start. Man, feel free to see, to see Pastor Ethan and Pastor Paul or myself, and we would love to talk to you, and we would love to point you in a direction. We also have a, a wonderful selection of books in our library on a, on a variety of biblical topics. And if you don't know where to begin when you're looking at that library, just come and ask us and we can point you to a good book to start with. And we also actually printed out some of our favorite online resources as well. So if you take a look at the 
uh, resource little shelf bookcase over there, you'll see those papers sticking up. And those are some of our favorite online resources that you can take a look at at any time that are filled to the brim with excellent biblical articles or blog posts or, or teaching videos and even free ebooks. And so check one of those out and don't put off your relationship with Christ. Don't grow lazy in your faith. And if you feel like you, that you have been, and you're, you're feeling the, the shame, don't, friends, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Repent and move on. Move on to the solid foods and come to us because we want to help you. Now, if you would, please pray with me. Lord, one of the verses that I didn't get to in the sermon today is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3. Lord, it essentially just says, Lord, if you permit this growth, if you permit this moving on from the, from the spiritual milk to the solid foods, Lord, we will. And so, Lord, we, we pray for that. Lord, we, we pray, God, that you help us recognize where we are spiritually immature. Lord, help us recognize where we need to repent of being lazy in our faith, lazy in our relationship with you. And help us move on from that. Help us grow, Lord, not just in gaining head knowledge about your word and about, about theology, just to simply say that we know more things, but Lord, because we want to know more about you. Lord, like a spouse should desire to learn more about their spouse. God, let us want to know more about you, about your character, about your works, about your promises that you've made to us. Make us hunger for that. Make us not be content, Lord, with where we are now. But help us have a desire to grow and to become more and more like your son. Because that's what this is all about. Lord, it's about wanting to grow in our Christ-likeness. So, Lord, we love you, God, and we thank you for the grace that you have with us when we do become lazy. Lord, I pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.